Well, I, I, you know, I write what I, what I'm interested in and, you know, just for the last 30 years, the world has been kind of normal. People, you know, you, you get a sense after you do it for a while, you get a, a sense of what the market is. You know, I worked on house of cards for four years and that was, that was sort of the beginning of streaming. And all of a sudden people were talking about the golden age of TV and TV became a more attractive medium for writers. I'm Debbie Weil, and this is the Gap Year Podcast, where we talk about the collective gap year we are all living through right now. Today, I talk to John Mankiewicz, a veteran screenwriter, as well as an executive producer for TV and film. You're probably familiar with several of the TV series he's worked on recently, including House of Cards and Bosch. I'm a huge fan. You may wonder what a conversation with John has to do with gap years or our collective gap year. Well, a lot. First, John is a new neighbor. He's now living in Castine, Maine, the historic town about an hour from my home in Stonington. We met, if I can use that word in the virtual sense, this past summer when we both worked on a pass-along mystery novel. That means that one person wrote a chapter, and then it was passed along to another writer who wrote the next chapter, and so on. I'm not really a fiction writer, so I was flattered to be included. You'll hear in our conversation how John's son, Jack Mankiewicz, also a writer, bailed me out when my chapter ended in a, well, a a dead end. I asked John how this strange interlude is affecting his writing, and if, in fact, this period of living with COVID is inspiring stories that he'll translate for TV or maybe a podcast. John mentions the last TV series he worked on as the pandemic struck. It's called Interrogation, and you can find it on CBS All Access. When the show wasn't picked up for a second season, he moved with his family from L.A. to Castine, where they have a family cottage. Together, we talk about the anxiety of these times and the difficulty of writing anything, the transformation of the TV and movie industry in recent years, and the rise of podcasts. And we talk about John's famous grandfather, Herman Mankiewicz, who wrote the screenplay for Citizen Kane, considered by many to be the greatest film ever made. Finally, we talk about John's current project, a five-hour podcast for Audible. It's about the Hollywood blacklist, and it's a project he's worked on for many years. He originally wrote it as a movie screenplay. With so many actors out of work, he's hoping that John Hamm of Mad Men fame will star in the podcast. Let's jump right in. John, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here. It's nice to meet you, Debbie. Well, I'm going to dive in. Um, I have a question for you. You're a screenwriter and a producer, and you've done lots of work. So tell us about the new TV series that I'm guessing you're writing in your head as we speak. It's all about this strange period of COVID and masks and social distancing and anxiety, which might also be about the election, and waiting for a vaccine. So tell us, just reveal, what's the story in your head? The story in my head is actually a a fairly blank story because I'm so uh, panicked and anxious by COVID and sort of the lack of 
you know, a national response to it and everything that's going on in the news. And only now am I actually starting to be able to focus. You know, I've tried. You know, we came to, came to Maine in July, but I just finished a show. Maybe this is part of, of why it's so hard for me. I just finished a show at where I worked for sort of 24 hours a day for two and a half years, and it came on the air in early February. It's called Interrogation. It's on CBS All Access. It's a true crime show. And I, the timing of it was good for the show because it, it came at a period, at a time when people were watching a lot of streaming shows. But in terms of work, we were still waiting to hear about a second season and it was sort of every week we were going to hear. And that happened, that took 14 weeks. And at the end of that 14 weeks, Viacom, who had just bought CBS, decided there wasn't going to be a second season. Hmm. So, so my world kind of stopped and everything else was going on that was happening to everyone, everyone else. And you know, I have a couple of ideas, shows I want to do. Like I want to do a show about the sort of the history of uh, open heart surgery, mm. which is sort of like Mad Men with stakes. You know, <laughs> it's a it's an amazing story, but it's a big show, a big expensive show, and you know, who knows when production is coming back and when people are doing those kinds of shows. So I've been working on that, and I've been. Well, I'll, I'll get to the the punchline is like last, I guess last Friday, there's a screenplay I've been trying to make for almost 30 years about the Hollywood blacklist, which is based on a story a blacklisted writer told me. Um, I sold it to Audible as a podcast. Oh. Uh, a five-hour version of the screenplay. Oh. And it turns out, you know, I had... John Hamm in the in the movie at one point, actors aren't working. I mean, I think John Hamm would be very happy to, you know, do a, a podcast where he didn't have to leave his house at this point. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and you cast it with great actors. And basically, you know, we're inventing a uh, we're inventing radio. So my sort of fantasy idea that this is interesting as a, as a, that you as a creator, mm-hmm. as a writer are, you know, the wheels are always turning and you're taking current life and somehow turning that into art. That doesn't, that doesn't sound quite right because it also sounds like you are very, um, you're thinking about the, the practical side of this, who's going to produce it and how will that work and how much it's going to cost. And so I'm just, I'm just curious because I'm not familiar with Hollywood and film and TV Mm -hmm. producing. Do you, how much of your brain do you spend on the, Oh, this is a great idea. And you start working out the narrative versus damn, there's no one to pick this up or produce it. Well, I, I, you know, I write what I, what I'm interested in and, you know, just for the last, 30 years, the world has been kind of normal. People, you know, you, you get a sense after you do it for a while, you get a, a sense of what the market is. You know, I worked on House of Cards for four years, and that was that was sort of the beginning of streaming. And all of a sudden, people were talking about the golden age of TV, and TV became a more attractive medium for writers. And, 
you know, the movie business pre-COVID and maybe probably post-COVID is going to be, you know, mostly these big movies like Spider-Man and, you know, franchise movies. You know, there haven't been a lot of movies that I've wanted to go see in, mm. in the last few years. Wait, well, hold on. We'll t- talk about House of Cards, though, because I think you, you know, you, you said that in retrospect, it really was about responsible American government. Yeah. Pretty relevant. So t- talk about that, and because this is where we are right now. Yeah. Our end of 2020 uh, with a not a responsible, well, I think you and I would agree, yeah. not a responsible government. What art, and I mean, when I say art, I guess I do mean TV shows, maybe films, will come out of this period, do you think? Do you think this is actually sort of grist for the mill? I, I think so. It, it's very, I, I actually am writing a, a pilot, that, a TV show that I started before COVID and it became sitting here in Maine and watching the world go by and watching the news. It became very hard to write this without acknowledging COVID in some way. Um, so it's a it's sort of a psychological thriller, but I, the other day I wrote a scene where the hero is is being sort of frisked by a security guard and I, you know, had the security guard wearing a, a mask, but, mm. but not, I didn't explain why, oh. um, you know, it's just sort of mention it in an offhand way, but there are shows that are going, that I've read about that are going, there's something called the coastal elites that I think is going to be on TV this week, or if, if it's not already on, maybe it's an HBO show. Um, and I know that's basically people doing monologues from their homes on Zoom. Oh, yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes because, yeah, no, I've heard about that. Yeah, I haven't seen it. And I, I have an idea for a show that is just people driving around in cars, which is. <laughs> See, I knew you had some ideas. <laughs> I, I had this idea a while ago, but it. It actually was pointed out to me that this is actually a show that could be shot during COVID. Yeah. What, you, you picturing people literally sitting in cars and interesting dialogue? Ooh, yeah. It's a sort of a murder mystery, but it, it's four or five people driving around L.A. and you realize they're all connected to, to this story. And there's a, a missing kid and... I haven't really figured it all out, but it's, it's, it's a very cool, it's a very cool way to do a show. I think because we, because in LA you actually spend a lot of time in your car. Sure. And it's the only, I mean, I thought of this when I wrote it the first time, you know, it's the only place where you're, I mean, now people can call you on your cell phone in the car, but it used to be, it's, if you don't answer your phone, it's the only really private time you have in Los Angeles. I mean, it's very early days for this, but I'm trying to rewrite this show. So it actually is COVID production friendly. So then you go, you take it and you shop it or help us with the lingo. Oh yeah. Then you have a script and I have a manager and an agent in LA who send it to a bunch of people. I don't really, I've never been, I mean, I've gone and pitch shows to networks and studios before, um, and I'm about as good at that as I am at this. 
No, you're, I think you're great. Yeah. Well, hold on. Tell us the name of the Cars one so that everyone listening knows that they heard it here first. Um, the, the, cars has, the Cars one has a, has a number of names. It was called, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was called, I mean, it might just be called Drive. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Ah, yeah, I like that. That's good. I mean, as an editor yeah. type, writing a lot of headlines, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Why? Did you um, work at newspapers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a long career as a newspaper editor and reporter. It's interesting. Yeah. I think it affects you for life. And I know you were a journalist. Yeah. Um, it was my favorite job was working in newspapers. You know, it is mine. I think it's a religion. I think once you're a reporter, you're always a reporter. You never really put it down. But I have another question. Mm -hmm. Your grandfather uh, is, well, I guess, what? Uh, Herman Mankiewicz, yeah. who co-wrote Citizen Kane. Well, yeah, just for, from the family point of view, we believe he wrote it. Okay. <laughs> he said to be. I share credit with uh, Orson Welles. Wow. Anyway, he's said to be one of the highest paid screenwriters in Hollywood in the 1920s and 1930s. So you have to live up to this. That's right. That's right. When I got my, um, I got a column at the Herald Examiner, I think I was probably in my early 20s. And I told my grandmother, Sarah, Herman's wife, I said, I just got a column. And she said, how much, you, how much are they paying you? <laughs> and I said, um, uh, $500 a week. And she said, well, it's not movie money. <laughs> well, having been a journalist, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's so, so fun, and particularly to have a column that you probably almost would have paid them probably. Well, not really, but. Yeah. So this is a good thing. I mean, he's kind of on your shoulder, but it's a good thing. Um, yeah. It's um, my father was also a writer, and I think it was probably harder for him um, just because the link was tighter, you know, it was his father and, but I, you know, it, Mankiewicz is not an unfamiliar name because of Herman. So I mean, yeah. it probably helped, you know, people take your phone calls maybe in the beginning more or more likely to, but I, everyone in my family is, is a writer. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I wanted to fill in the blanks. Yeah. Of, I was listening that because I met you I don't know how you and I are going to describe this. Mm -hmm. I haven't actually met you, but sort yeah. of met you by writing a progressive mystery novella. Yes. So I had no idea you were involved. And mm -hmm. someone in, based in Castine, and we can talk about Castine, asked me to do this, to write a chapter. And I wrote a short chapter. And I'm not, I've never done anything like this. I've never written a mystery. And I ended up at this spot in the story that was little, I had no idea what came next. It was sort of impossible. Right. And then I sent it back to the woman who was running this. And she then apparently found your son, who's also a writer. Yes. It was brilliant. He figured out what came next. So it was just so fun to be part of a group writing project. And then I discovered that you finished the story later. And right. I also thought your ending was brilliant. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I thought. Uh, you ended in a great, interesting place that I think anyone else but my son would have picked up on that. Um, a, a phone ring, you know, a phone ringing in the basement of a house. Yeah. I think that, I think there's probably a, a statute that says if you have that in a novel, you probably have to find out who's calling. <laughs> well, I just, I, and, and the woman, Joanna, who is, she emailed me back. She said, well, this is great. 
what happens next? Yeah, yeah. And I said, I have no idea. So anyway, so your son, his name is Jack. Your Jack, son, yeah. He and bypassed it by jumping to a scene where someone's, I think, in the ocean and swimming and looking at the house and stuff. Right. But tell us about Castine, Maine, which is just up the road from me and, and where you are. It's just such a special place. So you've left Hollywood, or L- I call yeah. it Hollywood, L.A., and you're living there for a while or for the foreseeable future. And what is that is rather a big change. What's that like for you? Well, it's it's great. A long time ago, in the early '90s, my I have an uncle who's also a writer, director, Peter Davis, who made uh, Hearts and Minds, that movie about Vietnam. He moved up to Castine from New York City, and my wife and I had young kids, and he said you should come to Castine for the summer. It's a great place, and we very uncharacteristically rented a house here and the kids loved it and we loved it. And it's, I mean, you've been here. It's just um, a beautiful little town and you kind of have to, you know, it's off the map a little bit. You, you kind of have to want to be here to mm. find it. And uh, so we spent every summer here uh, pretty much since then. Although there've been many summers I've been working and I've only been able to come for some like last summer I was here for two days, which was tough, but we're very lucky to, we feel very lucky to have a place here. And in July, we decided just to come here and ride out the pen, you know, this, that here was a better place than LA probably to be during the pandemic. Will you stay for a while, do you think? Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sort of taking it month by month and I don't know with this, I, I think I can do this, podcast from here but oh yeah in your closet yeah uh but there's also a lot of production to this one because it's you know there's a lot of sound effects and Mm. a lot of actors i don't know i just got off the phone with uh, the producers you know we're trying to figure out a way of the way to do this wait tell us again the name this one this is so exciting tell us the name of this one well it's an interesting story this guy, Paul Jericho, who was a real blacklisted writer, came to me. I had a, a company at Paramount Pictures. I had a couple of partners, a directing partner and a writing partner. We had a company called Western Sandblast. And Paul, he had made a movie called Salt of the Earth. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about, it's it's made by, it was made by Paul, by a guy named Herb Biberman, who directed it, who was actually one of the Hollywood 10 and went to jail. And um, a great writer named Michael Wilson, who was also blacklisted. Mike Wilson wrote, get this, you know, Friendly Persuasion, A Place in the Sun, Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge Over the River River Kwai. just, I mean, a great writer. I mean, and he didn't get, you know, he wrote them under, he wrote a lot of them under assumed names because he was blacklisted. Um, and those three guys, Mike, Paul, and Herb, started the first independent film company when they after they were blacklisted, when Herb got out of jail. And basically they said they were going to do a crime to fit the punishment. And they made a movie that has sort of communist ideals. They noticed that 
you know, in 1953, there were 30 something thousand people employed by the motion picture business. 427 of them were black and all but 20 of those were janitors. Oh. Um, and they made a movie about a labor strike in New Mexico where the, the men weren't allowed by law to pick it. They changed the law during the strike so the men couldn't pick it. And the women took over on the picket line. And they eventually unionized the shop and, you know, they overcame the problem. And it's a great sort of worker's story. But the movie, as the movie was being made, it was denounced on the floor of Congress. Uh, their star was deported back to Mexico, a woman named Rosara Revueltas, two weeks before her work was finished. So they had to go to Mexico and film the end of the movie on a fake call sheet and then on a fake production, get their film processed in any lab. You know, Howard Hughes was was against them and calling everybody and saying, don't let these, you know, don't let these commies finish their commie movie. And Paul's theory was that the only way they could have finished it, which they did, was if the FBI guy follow, who had been following them the whole time looked the other way at the very end and, and let them smuggle the, the, the last of their film back from Mexico. So he had an idea for a movie told from the point of view of the, of the FBI guy which was a great way to tell the blacklist story. Oh, so that's what your your project is. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a message movie like I don't know if you saw Good Night and Good Luck, which was also about the blacklist. But this was a real film noir. You know, the the FBI guy falls in love with uh, someone who's working on the movie. You know, his marriage is falling apart. It's all from his point of view, and it's not an instructive. It it's got it's it's got the message in it, but it's also got the movie in it. It's a great story. So we sold it the next day to um, a movie company. And then that Friday night was the 50th anniversary of the blacklist. And there was a big event at the writers guild in California. And Paul was honored. He was sort of the main honoree at the, at the dinner because he was sort of like John McCain he got everyone else's credits restored before he would restore any of his. Oh. You know, he kept a little notebook of, you know, that said who really wrote what. And for years he would go to studios and say, you've got to give this guy credit and you've got to give this guy, you know, the money that comes with the credit. I love that. You know, like Mike Wilson who wrote Lawrence of Arabia under an assumed name. And then after this dinner, which was the, sort of the triumph highlight of Paul's life. He was driving home. He lived north of LA and he fell asleep at the wheel and was killed. Oh. And his wife asked me to write the movie. He was going to write it, but so I, I wrote it. I felt like I had to, because I liked Paul. And as I was writing it, which was actually, our first summer in, or second summer maybe in Castine, 
I mean, I went to the house the other night that I wrote this movie in. And as I wrote it, I kind of became radicalized about the blacklist. Um, because writing, the idea of being a writer, I think you you might feel the same way. Just this, I, the idea is, is crazy that you can support yourself and a family just by coming up with ideas and selling them. You know, I mean, that's what writing is. If that's the, you know, if that's your day job. And, and I was just thinking, you know, what and people are telling you, you, you're not allowed to even try, you know, because you went to a meeting, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's crazy. Wait, so, so tell us though, the, so the podcast is now the movie turned into yeah. a podcast. Does it have a placeholder name just so we can all remember? It, yeah, it's, it's called uh, The Big Lie. Oh, okay. The Big yeah. Lie. Yeah. Great. Sort of a, a film noir kind of title. And I tried to get it made for, you know, Kevin Spacey was actually my partner in the movie for a couple of years. You know, then I was going to do it with somebody else. And, you know, it's gotten interest and gotten close a couple of times very close to getting made. But now in a podcast, which is five hours of content instead of an hour and a half movie, I can really contextualize the story. Oh, I can't wait. How long will it take roughly? When can we expect to be able to hear this? Uh, contractually, I think it has to be delivered within seven months of today, but we're going to try and do it before then. Good. Wow. That's fascinating. You, you really, to me, represent a slice of Hollywood and Hollywood history that is fascinating and that I'm not just not familiar with. All right. I have one last question. Yes. Um, what is your new best thing that has come out of this strange period? Well, it's very, um, we, we got, uh, I'm a dog person and we had lost a dog, um, we had a 15-year-old lab who, who died last year. And in early February, as soon, as soon as this show came on, I didn't have anything to do. We got a, a dog from a, a lab rescue place, a Labrador rescue place. <laughs> it turns out to be, she looks just like a lab, but she has no lab in her. <laughs> we I know a lot She's been passing for a Labrador retriever. Mm. And she, uh, we and we got this dog, and it really, you know, we're all home alone in Los Angeles. My daughter was about to move out. She just got in an apartment, but it was, you know, in the middle of March, not a good time to move. So she was home working. She works for a producer in Los Angeles, movie producer. She's a movie producer, and. Uh, my wife was home working and we had this dog, Daisy, who was kind of was the glue of the, the new glue of the family. And we brought her to Castine and she loves Castine. So that I would say the dog was, was the best part of COVID. Oh, I think that's that's perfect. That's perfect. John, thank you. Thank you ever so much. I hope we can continue maybe even in, in person since we're not too far away from each other. Yeah. But this was terrific. Thank you so much. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's great talking to you. That's it for this episode of The Gap Year Podcast. 
We're looking for a sponsor, and you can help. If you're interested in reaching a smart and thoughtful audience of midlife listeners who are open to change and transition, get in touch. Email me at thegapyearpodcast at gmail.com or contact me through my website at debbieweil.com. This is Debbie. Till next time. Thank you.